0: One of the things I've noticed about this game is that it's received a very mixed response from people. Um, I have heard just as many people say, Ah, oh, man, this game is awesome, as I've heard see people say, Ah, oh, God, I hate this game. And I have seen the same even on a character level. I've seen several people say, Ah, oh, Chloe's amazing. Oh, I hate Chloe. Right? And I looked at all that, and I realized that I'm screwed, no matter what I say on this video. So, in the interest of fairness... This is a game. Wait, you, you want more than that? <sighs> okay. <clears throat> I guess I'll do what I can. Let me start by saying that the premise is something, from a gameplay perspective, it's something that I love. In fact, it's something I have wanted over in Telltale for some time. The ability to basically put your finger in the page. I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Choose your own adventure books, right? It's like, okay, let's see. Oh gosh, I could go down the hill, or I could go across the street. Leave your finger there. Okay, go down the hill leads to this. Ah, maybe I don't want to do that. Okay, go down the street. Okay, that's better. That's better, right? It also, in my opinion, encourages a little bit more. Uh, let's call it player engagement. Over in Telltale games, if I want to see what a different choice makes, and yeah, I know, it doesn't really change anything, but it changes the flavor and the the uh the tone of both the character and the way you play through the game. So if I want to see a different tone or flavor, or to see what a different option would, would result in as far as a cutscene, I gotta go replay the whole chapter basically from scratch. Whereas in this game, I could just go do it. That's awesome. I love that. I admit I want that as an out-of-character thing, not an in-character thing, but I'm giving away some of my opinion already. (laughs) Please forgive me. Still not quite recovered. (laughs) I don't have a lot to say about most of the characters. Usually I'm a big character guy. Most of my thoughts and notes, such as they are, when I was going through this game was, yeah, I know that person. I mean, how many of you, going through this game, were pointing at different characters and saying, yeah, I knew that person back in school, or even maybe today? Um, I, I don't really have much else to add to most of them. It's nice how we get a lot of relatively low-scale thing. I like the fact that the game tries to keep things relatively small tier while still dealing with what feels like a large-tier situation and building to the actual situation. However, as a consequence, I have very little to say about the low-tier situations. It's nice going, you know, dealing with the cops, um, you know, learning about the Price family, uh, figuring out about how much influence certain people have in the town, and why she's, you know, the, the bum, I can't even remember her name, is living in, in the street, uh, or in the the you know the, 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 bu- the dump area. Um, It was nice going to the bar. Uh, it was nice finding out about the everyday lives of... And I'm struggling here because I can't think of anybody's names. <laughs> Lord knows I'm not good with names, but for the most part it's just, yeah, okay. And it was a nice little everyday kind of a life thing. The problem is, in my opinion, the game either shouldn't have had that or should have focused more on that. Because what I am left with on the game is the larger scope stuff. All of the larger tier stuff basically everything related to the storm and the actual powers she has stuck with me a lot stronger than anything else. So let's talk about Chloe. I don't actually have a huge amount to say about Chloe. Uh, I know people like Chloe, even to this very day, actually. Um, Chloe strikes me as the kind of person who... um, I I wouldn't call her a good person. What I mean by that is, I don't mean she's heroic. There's a difference between someone who is heroic, a.k.a., oh my god, someone's in trouble, i got to help them right now, and someone who is a good person, who will not seek to do evil things, who is not the kind of person who goes out of their way to hurt others, at least not in any real fashion, but instead will look at something and be like, I can't do anything about that. In other words, and I know this sounds really funny, but... Chloe is very normal. She is the closest thing, she doesn't quite hit this, but she's the closest thing we've got to an O'Brien in this game. She's the ordinary. She's the person who's just living her life and trying to live her life, going through some usual stuff. You know, we all went through some variety of stuff back in high school and college, right? I'm sure most of you remember that or are currently actively engaged in that, right? And while I feel like that was a wonderful choice for her, it means I don't have a lot to say about her other than the way that she relates to those around her. Because Chloe, arguably, is at the very center of the entire game. Not literally, because this really is Max's game, and I'll get more into some of my theories about this later, because I've got some stuff to talk about there. But the whole game uses Chloe, who is not the player character, as a lens to showcase everyone else. Um, I'll go with some extremes. Uh, we'll go with Victoria and Mr. Jefferson. I think those are probably the two best extremes I can go with, where we see what other people are like in because we have an established baseline of Chloe. Chloe may cuss or flip someone off or smoke, you know, ah, punk, cool, right? But Chloe wouldn't try to actually hurt someone or endanger someone. Chloe wouldn't kidnap someone and drug them and take pictures of them, right? Chloe wouldn't threat someone with a gun. Let's go and use that comparison right back at the beginning. That's not her. She's normal. And I don't mean that as an insult. She's baseline. And it really helps to emphasize the actual main character, Max. Now, I know several people like Max. Even to this very day, I'm still friends with a couple of them. Max, I hate to use this word because I was I was struggling. I was literally getting some errands done after I finished the game and before I started recording this, just to let my thoughts percolate for a bit, and, and because I needed to get some errands done. And I was thinking about try. I was trying to come up with another word to describe Max, and I failed because introverted just fits perfectly. So here's the thing. In my experience, someone who is introverted is not someone who's a loner, is not someone who's a hermit is not someone who doesn't want to interact with other people, doesn't want friends, and doesn't like social engagement. None of that is true. An introvert is someone who has trouble with or doesn't necessarily need as much social engagement and friends as other people do. An introvert is someone who looks at someone and says, excuse me, thinks, well, they might be cool, and doesn't say anything. We see in Max a perfect introvert, and everything about her presentation indicates this. Probably the most obvious thing is the hints we have of alternate Max in uh, episode four, I think it was, when we do the big shift and basically make an entirely new alternate uh, presentation of events when when Chloe's in the wheelchair, right? <laughs> Excuse me, or not in the wheelchair, but you know what I mean. Uh, she's a paraplegic. Um... When we see that version of Max, that version of Max is someone who is slotted into a social group, which is very small and insular, and she behaves in a way that is expected of her within that group. Not because she's a snob, not because she's a not because she gives it in, but because she has found a group with which she can have the social dynamics she wants and is acclimated to acting in the manner that is requested of her by the clique. And I bet a lot of you can either personally or second or third hand empathize with that idea. Now, give you a little background of myself really quick, just tiny little thing. I was the guy who got along with everyone. I don't know how many of you had someone like that back in school, uh, but that was me. I was the one who got along with everybody, you know, the jocks and the cheerleaders and the mega geeks and the pseudo geeks, and the librarians and the teachers, you know, I was everyone's friend. Um, that was my shtick and because I am massively extroverted, and because I like getting along with everyone, because I'm kind of an all-things-to-all-men kind of a guy. I haven't since I was a kid. So I used to meet... The reason I'm leading with this is I used to meet people like Max. And it took me until high school, and I admit this to my shame, that it took me that long to figure this out, but it took me until high school to figure out that these people wanted to be friends with me, and either didn't know how to... Or were worried about, or scared to, or whatever, reaching out to me to become my friend. So I would be like, "Hey, what's up?" I'm not going to give you any real names. There's no reason for that. You know, Bob. I could picture him right now. I could picture his face. Not Bob, but the real person. I'm like, "Hey, Bob," and they would just like, "Oh yeah, sure, whatever." And I'd reach out and talk to him. I'd reach out a couple more times, and they would never reach back. So I would just move on. Obviously, they didn't want to be my friend. No. <laughs> now they might not want to be your friend, but But I have discovered the signals for leave me alone are completely different from the signals for I don't know how to react to you. The shading there. I guarantee you I would have been Max's friend if I had been at school with her, to some extent or another. Because when you reach out to those kind of people and continue to reach out, they will eventually reciprocate. And that's just kind of how that goes. Because they want to be friends with people. And Max shows this Because what's one of the very first things? Arguably the second, third, fourth, 80th. You know, the first bundle of things after the big one. What is the first thing she uses her superpowers on? Getting along with people better. Now, some of that's on the impetus of the player. (laughs) But the fact that that's part of the narrative says something. Uh, Nightmare Max. Flat out galls are up for that. You just said what people wanted to hear you say. Of course she did! Because... She wanted to be their friends. It goes back to an idea that I find fascinating. It's called lying to tell the truth. It's... (laughs) I'm sorry. And I know that sounds like a, a, a misnomer or an inaccurate statement, but what that means is, to use the direct example, I want to be your friend. But I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to cheat. I'm going to lie and fake it so that we can reach the point of actual friendship. It is arguably with manipulative intent, but not negative manipulative intent, if you catch me. Max herself says it much. I just wanted to help people. I just wanted to, I just wanted to have friends and be with people. Even Chloe in The Nightmare calls out alternate Max in that, in The Nightmare. No. You don't have any idea what she's been going through. Which I suppose is a good time as any to talk about the nightmare while we're on the subject. But before I get into that, I want to talk about power. Hear me out. I have had a saying since I was young, and I've had some people disagree with me over the years. I've had people disagree with me as, as recently as this year, because I've talked about it on my show. And that saying is, power does not corrupt. Power enables now, I have never seen anything in my real-life experience to disagree with this statement. Everything this is something I truly believe. I may be wrong, because I don't know the absolute truth of reality, but that is what I legitimately believe. I feel like this game is one of the more clear-cut examples of that I've ever seen, because this is, tends to be true in fiction as well, unless something is literally corruptive, like fell magic or whatever. For the most part, power just enables. Max, is enabled to be more of a social butterfly as a consequence of this new power that now enables her. She is acting now how she always wanted to, but lacked either the ability or the the courage or whatever. Honestly, the word I really want to use here is confidence. And I know a lot of you know about that one too, don't you? What is the difference? How many of you have been in acting? I know this is going to be a weird analogy. I like to use universal analogies, but hear me out. I used to be really big into acting. Um, I actually did theater work, you know, performed in plays, etc. One of the things I noticed is that I was a terrible actor right up until I gained my confidence. And I imagine some other actors, I, I know personally a few other actors, but I imagine others as well, would tell you this thing. Once you get your confidence, once you put yourself into that role and just do it, it no longer becomes, oh, God. Like like your whole mentality shifts. You go up there on the stage, you know, maybe two 300 people. This auditorium, it was a big auditorium, uh, or not, uh, big uh, theater. And it's like, oh, God. And they're all judging you, right? They're all judging you. They're all looking at you. They're all glaring. And, well, you don't know if they actually are or not, because most, most uh, actual theaters are designed so that those lights literally block out the people. So you can't actually see that audience. That's by design. But you're thinking that, aren't you? You don't have to answer this question in comments, but how many of you have had those thoughts in your everyday real life? They're judging me. They're thinking about me. Oh God, am I I standing right? Am I breathing too loudly? I tend to monitor everything I do personally. Uh, it's part of my whole pay attention shtick, which is something that was grounded into me as a, you know, very young as a kid. You know, pay attention. It's one of the biggest things. Um, and so I remember just the other week, I was standing in the UPS store getting some printing done for the show. And I'm just standing there, and there's some other people, and I'm listening to every conversation in there. There's only two, so it's not a big deal. But I'm listening to them, and I'm listening to them. And I'm trying to portray the exact flavor of casual without being lack, lackadaisic. Like, I'm managing exactly how I'm standing, exactly what foot, every now and then I'll shift from one foot to the other, nice and slow. I don't want to give the visual presentation of me being impatient. I am impatient. I got a lot of work to do and I'm just standing there and it actually hurts my bad leg to stand in one place for too long. But I don't want to get across that. I want to get across, yep, everything's cool, we're cool. And as soon as they notice me, I kind of do this thing where I, I, of course, have been paying attention to them the entire time. So I notice the, the moment they, their attention comes to me. But I don't react at first. I take a moment, and then I go, oh, yep, yeah, sorry, hey, here's what you can help me with. I need this printed, you know, here's the thumb drive, blah, blah, blah. Very calm, very casual. All of this is moderated. Because there's always that last, it's not a voice, it's just this impression that there's always a camera on you, right? I know that's funny for me saying that given the current circumstances, but you know what I mean? There's that feeling of there's just a camera on me. They're noticing everything I'm doing wrong. Got to do it just right. Right? I know a lot of you know at least to some extent or another what I'm talking about. And I think that's why I really did end up liking Max throughout the course of this playthrough. Well, I obviously, like I said earlier, I'm not in her same group. I can totally g- grok what she's sprocking, you know. Um. But the next thing, so we talked about power, right? Power enables. The next thing I want to talk about is the nightmare sequence. Given the nature of how the power is presented in this game, um, there's a theory... I I developed a theory, and then I went and started reading up on some Reddit threads and some forums of discussion uh, what other people thought about it. Apparently other people have had the same theory as well. The idea that the nightmare is quite literally several multiple timelines being smooshed onto each other. So rather than this being solely in her head, it is basically a metaphysical representation of a lot of the crap that she's been doing, that she is Twisting reality so badly that it really did just in on her for those few minutes. Um, I admittedly, I like that idea, but I also like that because that kind of gels with the way the power is presented overall. But if that's true, who's the other Max? Now, there's a lot of different answers to that. I'm actually not going to give mine, because I kind of already have, but I'm curious what you guys think. If this is in her head, it's obvious who the other Max is. But if this is some kind of condensing, some conjunction of the spheres thing going on, then who is the other Max? And why is she trying so hard to break her down? For that matter, who's the other Chloe? Not the one who defends her. The one who really, really doesn't. Now... Here we go. Um, I suppose it's time to talk about the power itself. Now, first of all, anybody who knows me knows I tend to be kind of a time travel guy. Time travel usually just fits right in there nice and neatly. It just makes sense to me. Now, this also means I tend to be more critical than others would be about usage of time travel in fiction, since it's so obvious when it doesn't make sense to me, right? Because it's like, well, wait, that shouldn't work that way, right? Now, I can forgive bad time travel for a good story, back to the future, right? But I was actually impressed with how logical most of the time travel was presented in this. There were a couple of exceptions here and there. Probably the single biggest one is the one that initiates everything, in fact, uh, from this is a second-hand source. I didn't actually find the interview myself, but I am told that the devs have actually acknowledged that the very first time jump was being done for narrative and gameplay purposes rather than the way it should actually have happened. And I like that. I also like how her power is presented as relatively limited. She actually has several different powers. You know, she's got the focus jump, which is the, the photo one, and then she's just got the general jump, which is the one we use in gameplay predominantly. I also happen to really enjoy how it's, it's like, it's like singing, hear me out, it's like if you're going on stage and you're, you you sing your heart out, right, like you've suddenly discovered you've got this great talent for singing, and then the next day your voice is gone, like you can barely talk, (laughs) right, I don't know how, I actually don't know how bad my voice sounds right now. It's hard to hear because my, both my ears are clogged. But you overstress that, and then it, it takes time to recover. So to me, that made perfect sense, how that was presented several times in gameplay. To the point where... So in other words, she doesn't have total mastery of time. She is not literally... Well, I mean, she, Time Lord is a bad example because Dr. Who, But you know, she's not literally a Time Lord. She's not a Time Mage. She doesn't have the ability to just... Infinitely... Rather, she has a limited ability, which costs her in order to rewind under certain circumstances and to certain points. And I kind of liked that limitation. It helped... It helped emphasize a lot of individual scenes throughout the course of the game. Probably my favorite one is the one with Kate. I mentioned I didn't want to talk about most of the characters because I just didn't have anything to... It's not that I don't want to talk about this. I have nothing to say about them. Kate... I was originally going to talk about Kate. I have chickened out. I have decided not to. Um, in my opinion, I should not talk about suicide on my show. So I'm not going to. But I really like the gameplay and story integration of that scene. Because all the way up until that point, we've had the ability to leave our finger in the page. Say, oh, hang on, hang on, I messed up. Or, oh, I misremembered. Or, oh, man, I, I wonder what I say the next thing. But because she has screamed herself hoarse through basically all of chapter one, her voice is gone. She can't quite jump back. You have to do that whole sequence with Kate without the ability to undo any of it. She actually commits suicide or lives depending on your real choices. And I liked that. That was good. That was a great way to tie that into the story and a great way to emphasize the, the scene, like I said earlier. For reference, I did talk her down, in case anyone was wondering. The next thing I want to talk about is the storm. So, the developers have obviously never come out and said, this is where the powers come from. And that's fine. That doesn't necessarily have to happen. It does bother me, I'll completely admit that. Because I'm the person who thinks in terms of uh, whys, right? It's kind of my job as a lore hunter, as as a ruminator. I, I, why does this happen? That's predominantly what I'm focused on. So it's like, ah, I don't have an answer. But I can accept that if there, if it's done to some significant point. I uh, will give you an example of this. It's very easy to. It's a movie called Groundhog Day. Yeah, I knew you knew I was going to bring it up at some point. Groundhog Day never explains It, it doesn't even try. In fact, the... Creators and producers have flat out gone out of their way to never explain it. To just say, yep, nope. But Groundhog Day did two very good things, arguably three, very good things with that time loop concept. First, it was funny. Second, it was heartwarming. And third, and this is the most important one, all of that was to service a core central theme. In that case, it was self-improvement and willingness to self-improve the desire to be a better person that was groundhog day's core message right what's the core theme of this game let's talk about that storm don't worry i'm doing this all on purpose i swear that storm uh first of all there's no such thing as a rated six tornado that's not a thing Second of all, a rated 5 tornado would have devastated that land to a point where it would have been barren ash. But let's, let's not get into that. That's not the point. The point is I don't think that was a tornado. Let's look at the signs. Snow. Okay. Well, actually, let me rewind just a second before I continue. Because originally, I thought that this game was a tale, not a story. Now, I don't like tales. I think I've made that clear. Um, For those of you who don't really know what I mean by that, I've finally come up with a good way to explain the difference between a story and a tale. So to recover briefly what I mean by that, a story is something you could see actually happening. It follows its own internal logic, and the purpose is that it's a sequence of events that you are perceiving, read, watched, played, right? A tale is something that you are not supposed to think about, Because it does not make logical sense, and events do not follow in a way that would would make sense. The purpose, now that's, I'm not saying it's a bad writing thing, that's not the point. The point of a tale is to make you think about the message. A tale is all about the message. There are so many tales that exist in real life concepts, and and I'm not talking about like fiction, I mean, like, if you go back to uh, the Good Shepherd, right? That tale. Well, okay, that's actually a bad example. Um, uh, I, I can't come up with an example that's safe to talk about, so let's just move on. There are plenty of examples of tales which you're not supposed to think about the literal mechanics of it. You're not supposed to say, hang on a second, that doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't make sense. The point of a tale is to construct an environment and then deliver a message. It's the same thing as a dilemma. Hear me out. How many times have you been asked one or another of the many dilemmas that exist? Like, the prisoner's dilemma is one of the most basic ones. But there's a lot of different dilemmas. Now, the point of a dilemma isn't for you to logically think your way through through the problem. That's what Stark would do. The point of the dilemma, and being asked the dilemma, is how would you react to it to be an insight into your character? That's what Rogers does. Make sense? So for the longest time, I was looking at this game like it was a tale. Because I'm just like, ah, come on like how's it snowing well that brings me back to that how is it snowing like what about like like they have this vague thing about chaos theory and oh my god like if you talk to uh warren i liked warren by the way i still know people like him too um you know it's your powers right it's totally your powers that are causing this uh huh but how like what specifically of her shunking causes snow to happen what about her shunking causes birds to die? Causes the, the ants to wake out? Causes whales to beach themselves? More than once, technically. Causes a lunar, or excuse me, a solar eclipse. Causes two, two moons to show up in the sky. Right? You can see why I was thinking this was a tale. Because in a tale, those things don't have to be explained. You just see two moons in the sky, and what you see is stuff is bad. And that's the only message that needs to be conveyed as part of the overall core-centric theme of the work. Still building up to that. But instead, after going through it more and really thinking about it, I think this actually is a story because, hear me out, I think that this is a case of different expressions of time being layered on top of itself. That that snow was from another point in time, literally transfixed here by her alterations, that the whales, when they were swimming, were swimming someplace where it was all water, and then, oh, now it's suddenly land. Like, you follow me on this? The the, the one that really uh, clinched this for me was actually um, the two moons one. Because by that time, I'm like, oh, come on, two moons? Well, yeah. Yeah. If one of them is from a different time. That ultimately, is what I think the storm is. I don't think it's a tornado at all. I think it is quite literally a storm. Some of you might not know this, so please forgive me uh, if this sounds, you know, if I'm giving you information that you do already know. But what a storm is, a literal uh, what a storm is in real life, is a storm is a method by which an imbalance is corrected in a weather system. Now, that sounds deliberate, but that's not what I mean. My point is if certain variables of uh, density and pressure and temperature and uh, humidity and, and all all the other things, I, there's you know, barometric pressure, all of that crap gets out of whack and out of balance, it will destabilize and destabilize until a storm happens. The storm resets that, puts it back to the point where it is now at a more stable state. Make sense? And you can see why I now call this a literal storm, a storm of time rather than a storm of weather. This would also help to explain the you decide to save Chloe ending, and how that could work at all. Because if you decide to save Chloe, well, if you just keep using your powers, then everything's screwed, right? Everyone's going to still die, and more stuff will happen, because you're still using your powers. But the storm itself having reset things, and restabilized things, if you if you just don't use your power sense force that might work although that would also go against the core tenet of of the game itself which i'm still building up to I swear because see if that is true why does chloe need to die why not go back and save chloe and then just not use the power like ever again right if using the power is what causes it Is is what continues to to make this get worse. Ergo, simply not using the power would be the easiest solution, especially since if you only if you could like parse it out and use it once every now and again. However, if you remember towards the end there, we see a thing where she goes all the way back. She's got the photo, San Francisco. Hey, what's going on? Storms still happening. By all accounts, in that particular run through of events, she did not use her powers hardly at all, and yet the storm still happens. Why? What is the theme of this game? Is it about consequence? Well, no, that's stupid. It's like having a theme about water. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean by that a little bit. Uh Water's wet. There's nothing else to be added to that. Uh, water's wet, the end. And that's kind of the same thing about co- actions have consequences, or choices have consequences. Because, of course, they do. Duh. No, no, that's not the theme. That's too simple, and that's too uh blank. So... My next thought was that this feels really Greek. This is still when I was thinking of this as a tale. Uh, the actual uh, rough definition of hubris was to challenge the gods. And this whole thing felt like a, 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 a task or a punishment bestowed upon Max by Zeus, because it's always Zeus, because he's just, he's just a dick. Zeus um, is like, You, thou there, I declareth that Chloe must die. And she's like, No! And then she just makes her life worse and worse and worse and worse until she accepts Chloe dying. Because screw her. Very Greek, right? But that doesn't quite make sense. And then there's a lot of words. Uh, the word destiny and the word fate is thrown around just a little bit too much in this game to, to be incidental. Now, it's worth noting all of that is thrown around in character. So it could just be the fact that the characters themselves believe in concepts like destiny or fate rather than the writers believing in the concepts of destiny or fate. But nothing I saw indicated to me that Chloe's death was some fulcrum point of reality. No. Because, (laughs) I'm surprised how long it took me to figure this out, because her death did not cause the storm. Her death was not a, a choice it was not a consequence. Um, it, it was not. It's not about the idea of improving your life. It's not about that anything. Uh, it's all about this woman who you chose to save because you had a traumatic moment, and that right there, I feel, is the key, because it wasn't Chloe's death that caused all this. Even with minimal usage of power. Storm still happens. Ergo. it is the initiation of the power that causes the destabilization in time. Oh okay, yeah, I never actually talked about this. This is a clear example of hello. This is a clear example of time two, type 2 time uh, travel theory, and that would be, for those of you not aware, uh, the idea of when you go through time. And there's only one timeline. There's a singular timeline, and that timeline is altered based on your actions. Uh, obviously, Max Yourself does also have the time travel exemption clause. Thank you. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> okay, okay. In a minute, I'm talking. I will, though. I will. Thank you. Um, this is time to time travel, which means which means we're dealing with a singular timeline. This isn't a case of the time travel always happened because there's too many cases in which we alter history to the point of of significant alterations to the characters, and this isn't a case of the multiverse because it's made very clear that we're still going through our same path, and also I hate the multiverse theory, so let's just leave that on the sidelines. No. What this is, is her changing time. But if you go back, and this is, I mentioned earlier, time travel just kind of tends to make sense to me. If you go back... In through time travel, before the point at which you received time travel, and then deliberately do not receive time travel, it's all gone, thanks to type 2 time travel, right? Because now you never gained the ability to time travel. Now, I know that's a paradox, but of course it is. Time travel in general is a paradox. That's not, that's not a problem. Do you get where I'm going with this? It was the unlock. It was her mutant powers expressing that caused that storm and that destabilization of time. So she goes back, and she lets Chloe die for nothing. And she just kind of lets it happen and doesn't react. Now this is all theory, of course. I could be giving way too much credit to this game. But if this theory is true, it means Chloe does not have time travel powers anymore. She is, sorry, Max, not Chloe. God, I get the, for some reason I get them confused. Max no longer has time travel powers. At all. She is back to being a normal person because she interrupted that event from ever happening. That's messed up. And that, I guess, brings me back to what I was saying earlier about the core central theme of the work. Because what is the message here? What is the relevance? What is the point of how they're presenting the story? Is it about self-improvement? No. This isn't Groundhog Day. This isn't about Max trying to be a better person. This is Max being given the tools to be a better person but she already had the desire. This is not about the the Greek tragedy, the fate, destiny. Chloe's death didn't mean anything to that. It was just about the unlocking. So what are we left with? Now, of course, you're probably expecting me to conclude to here by saying the message is life is strange, but I got a different one. For me, and this is why this, this game pissed me off, Because after all this analysis, I I did a deep dive on this one, if it's not obvious. I really sat down and thought about this one. Like I said, I even did some errands while still thinking about this. This game's core central theme is that life sucks, and then you die. That's it. Sometimes bad things happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. But maybe that's a bit too harsh. You you know what? Hang on, hang on. Redo, redo.